ready and I'm settled. I've got my water. I've got my burp. I think the most important thing, I've noticed that one thing that always seems to happen with this podcast is that the beginning of it, it, it truly officially starts when after we've got the levels done, we both announce what we're drinking. Because that this is this is a very liquid based podcast. If if this couldn't be if we could find some way to revolutionize podcasts and make mm-hmm. it so that you would basically just hear us through some sort of water instead of like, you know, airwaves, it would be like the sound of rushing water uh, that would create noises that would sound like us. Would that make any ASMR sense? the podcast? Yeah, something like that. Um, right. So it's, uh, of course, it's lem- It's November the 18th, be with you. WTDG. It's 11, 18, 18. Make a wish. You know, this is the last uh, November 18th that we're going to have in the next year. So I think we should appreciate it. it well, in this year, because I think next year we get another one of these, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. I so- think we might skip it next year. I th- that's what I was asking. Was we, are we doing November eighteenth next year, or is that just not a we're not doing that next year? Might get skipped. I I was hearing something about that. I was hearing that people just weren't see this this November eighteenth. I it, it's kind of been the first November eighteenth that I really understood the meaning of November eighteenth and why it's such an important day. And now that I finally understood it, of course, uh, people are kind of just saying that. It's that this is uh, yeah. this is this shouldn't happen again. That we've done enough November eighteenth. That it, that I I heard some things about. There's kind of a uh, dodgy history when you look back at November eighteenth. There's some really kind of bad Absolutely. things that happened. And see, and some I, people don't realize it. Some people treat November eighteenth like up oh, just another day. And it's well, like, yeah, some people have a well, you know, no world history. That's it, fine. It's not. That's fine. It's not just. But it's not those people that that make the holiday, the day, November eighteenth, a problematic day. It's it's really the fact that that people don't understand how many bad things have happened on November eighteenth. That's the thing, and that's why. And, you sh- and that's, that's why, why we shouldn't celebrate today. About, yeah, cutting it out of the calendar. They're cutting year. it out of the calendar next year. 364 and, days a year. But I, I, I got to say that I I grew up not really appreciating November 18th. And now that I, I feel like I'm getting older and kind of like similar to a lot of other holidays where Halloween is in vogue, then it's out of vogue, then it's in vogue again when you're when you're you're a YA or a maturing adult and MA, um, you you start to appreciate it again and i feel like november 18th has always been kind of out of vogue for me and now it's kind of coming back and it's just at that 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 time that people are kind of deciding that maybe we shouldn't do it next year and i I, that's a that's a huge bummer that's gotta i gotta say it's a huge bummer well may the good blood guide your way yes more i've been playing bloodborne all day were you why no you weren't i was yeah uh i actually have not played through all of bloodborne so, you know, I was sitting down thinking about what I wanted to play today. That came out 16, right? I was just right? like, I'm going I'm to play Bloodborne. It was a three years ago, so 2015, end of 2015. Are you sure about maybe? that? That Bloodborne I'm is still, sure. Bloodborne would be, be sure. in my top 10 games. Bloodborne is unbelievable. Bloodborne is, is without a doubt, the best version of the Souls formula. That across all games, whether, whether or not they're made by... Uh, from Software. From Software. It's hard to remember that name. Yes. So Although, yeah. So, but I am looking forward to Neo too. Uh, so the thing, the reason why I stopped playing Bloodborne, 
uh, originally was, I don't know, I just grew tired of it. I felt like I didn't have interesting weapons. I felt like maybe my build was bad and I, I gave up. I know then the old hunters DLC came out and uh, it didn't really push me to play it, but then it was free on PS plus one day. And I was like, okay, I'll, because I, I sold my copy. I love the old hunters, by the way, the old hunters is unbelievable. But when it was uh, free to free to download, I just downloaded it. And then I actually got stuck not on Vicar Amelia, but immediately before, because I had remembered that there was some way to get to Vicar Amelia without paying the 10,000 souls to open the gate. But, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And I was playing hours and hours just trying to remember how to get around the gate. And it's like, you know, oh, you have to, when you're on this tower, you fall off. And that, that opens the way. And it's like, well, that is some obtuse Bloodborne. That is some obtuse Dark Souls style of map design. Yeah, that's like kind of what you signed up for. Yeah, and uh, but you know, eventually I found it because of the signs on the ground. I I like those signs because because some because sometimes they are the only thing that actually tells you where you're supposed to go. I also watched a a Bloodborne uh, story explanation to sort of get the background of the game. So now when I was going through the areas today. Uh, I guess I had a little bit more appreciation for uh, where I was and what I was seeing. Okay. Which is pretty cool. I mean, I, it's weird to me that the, I actually think Bloodborne has a pretty interesting and a pretty cool story. And it it is a little strange to me that they do not tell you it. I think I, I still appreciate that. I think that there is a lot to... Um, finding out the story slowly or elsewhere um, that like blood uh, dark souls like from software has always a well, part of the dark souls formula I feel like like one of the things that makes a game a dark souls like is that the uh, narrative is very obtuse and kind of w- the important events have already happened and you're you're getting items or you're hearing little bits of of the meaning of things, but you're, and you're trying to parse together, you like piece together a, uh, a puzzle out of a little pieces, you know, like, and trying to figure out what the whole is of uh, all these little parts you're getting. And I feel like there's something about that that makes, uh, the experience a little bit more interesting or more like, I don't know, like I hate to say like epic or legendary. Um, I, 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 I was thinking a lot uh, about, like, not really related, but you know how they're doing the Warcraft 3 the remaster, the Reign of Chaos? Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing I always really liked about World of Warcraft was that, uh, you know, you have these these massive... You, you, you In World of Warcraft, you kind of narratively, uh, you're playing this adventurer, this kind of sort of nameless adventurer that is uh, the smaller part of a greater whole of everyone playing, and you but you see uh, characters in the world and uh, places in the world that have backstory that like if you pay attention to you can pick up on and be interested in like what is the meaning like who is who are some of these major players and where did they come from and why are they so powerful and seeing like like warcraft 3 uh, I gr- I did grow up kind of playing that game. I forgot some of the things uh, that happened in it before I played WoW. But um, when you go back and see some of those Warcraft 3 events, 
it kind of lends like a lot of a lot of narrative value to what's going on in World of Warcraft. And I think it's a similar thing where you're kind of almost sure. you're like you're playing the World of Warcraft to a non-existent Warcraft 3 where so much has happened in that world and you are trying to kind of piece together like the meaning, like why things have happened or like who were the major players and what did they do? I think it's weird that you refer to uh, the Warcraft adventurer as a nameless hero. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know who you played, but I played the famous warlock pizza time. So, I mean, it's fine. I, I, it's fine. If you were like some nobody, that's, that's perfectly fine. I'm sorry. I forgot you are pizza time. Uh, I had a lot of DKP. I, I, uh, you know, single-handedly defeated Kel'Thuzad yes. at level 90. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So, yeah, Bloodborne. So, yeah, so I'm playing that. Uh, kind of makes me also consider going back to Neo. Did Neo get any DLC? I uh, think it I don't did, know. right? Neo was pretty dope. That was a pretty good game, yeah. Did we? I, I did that come out this year? Neo, no. No, it didn't. It came out yesterday. Did we, did we give it any accolades? I don't think so. I don't so. know if I, we did. I don't think we really even mentioned it, which is really sad because even we just definitely hearing, mentioned it. I mean, did did we did we talk about it? Did we do anything with it on the Game of the Year podcasts or? Oh, that's so sad. Maybe next year. Well, it did come out in the early uh, part of the year, but that's still a huge bummer because Neo is uh, is better than it has any right to be. I, I think I think that if 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 a Neo two made it so that the enemies weren't were a little bit more diverse um that the the overall experience could end up being a lot better i think that was one of the things that i that one of the major things that kind of started to irk me is that the areas and enemies started to get a little samey at the same time i play path of exile it's not really a one-to-one ratio right there it's not you don't really necessarily think about enemies at least in path of exile as uh, having much, uh, like, you know, play around value. They're kind of just like meat bags. I don't really think that much while I'm fighting, while I'm playing Path of Exile, like this group is made up of two of these enemies and they're ranged. So I got to kind of stay away from them, but I can kite these enemies. Like, I don't really think like that. What you do when you get to the bosses, right? a little bit, a little bit more when I get to the bosses. Yeah. Like uh, that, that's a little bit more, yeah. but it depends on the build too. Cause if, if you're, yeah. if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, usually in path of exile, then you usually don't have to think that much until the very end, end, end this game. I mean, the, that, that's what I'm saying though. Even the bosses until the end, end, end game bosses, like the, you know, one percenter bosses. Uh, I feel like a lot of bosses, like, especially if you're in maps, like you don't really think that much. All right. But in Neo, I bet you think about the bosses. I think about all the enemies. I th- I thought about all the enemies. I mean, Neo Neo was that to 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 Neo's credit, I think it does make a little bit sense uh, of of returning enemies because I think more so in Neo than in the Dark Souls games, um, you had to know enemy attack patterns because Neo was like here's an enemy that is a regular enemy and it will immediately kill you with attack patterns unless you position right or like you know bait a certain type of attack of it so i think that i i think that was pretty cool in neo and i understand why they didn't want to bog you down with too many enemies considering the enemies like attack patterns were so ridiculously important in that game yeah so 
You know, the reason why I've been thinking about it, the reason why I've been revisiting old games is that I actually have like a vacation coming up, like a pretty long vacation, like a whole week. And, and I'm trying to suss out how I want to spend it. Like what games do I want to get out of the way in my backlog during that week? And it kind of makes me wish that I had taken off in December instead, like maybe the week after Path of Exiles New League comes out. That would have been that would have been a pretty good time to to have some time off. It sounds like a great but league. Are we I'm, talking about that right now, though? But maybe. But I think I think that what I'm going to get through is I'm going to get through uh, Red Dead Redemption Two. I'm going to play more Hitman uh, and maybe some Dark Souls and read some books. I'm I'm overdue on some books. But yeah. So that said, there is a new Path of Exile league. I feel like that'd be prime tabletop out. time. But whatever. Soon. What? I feel like that would be prime tabletop time. What do you mean? Being off for that long, I, I, if I yeah, were you, but, I'd just be I would just be mainlining working. games, tabletop games. But you're working on the weekends. We can already play on the weekends, and we do. But 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 yeah. So uh, the Betrayal League for Path of Exile is really cool. Uh, it's getting rid of some of the worst systems that are currently in Path of Exile. That's how you uh, do it, right? Being, yeah, that being like master leveling and uh, hideouts, uh, and in in persistent hideouts. So now your hideout can sort of be like you build it once. It is where you store your trophies, and like it sort of you know is going to let other players see what you've done so far. Uh, in Path of Exile, I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, right now the way that you sort of reflect what you are like, what you're about, and what you've done in the past is through the microtransactions that you unlock through through doing league challenges. And, and I hope that they will think about tying hideout decorations to league challenges instead so that you could sort of adorn your hideout with uh, different different uh, decorations. Or just more things, because I feel like a lot of past. leagues, I don't get a lot of those challenges. Because some of them are really late game, or just, they're, there's some that are like bizarrely difficult to pull off. Um, but, but also to go back to what you just said, uh, with the hideouts, um, uh, the reason why this is such a big change is that when a new league starts, uh, you don't, you start as a new character. Um, you don't have anything from the past on your account. Uh, you start out, uh, without a hideout. So you have to make a new hideout and it's just, everything about that is boring. Um, the, you, you go to one of the masters, which are these kind of NPCs that you can kind of find throughout the world that give you these really boring quests. They're awful. Most of them are, most of them are just terrible. They're just, they're, they're busy work there. That's all they are. They are. But anyway, they're worse than busy work because they actually, the worst thing that you can do in path of exile is stop. And essentially in path of exile you want to always be moving and keep moving and the master quests make you backtrack they make you waste time they make you do something that is not kill monsters and it's not fun it's not good not killing monsters and the important and and what i mean is that so you're so you start out new you're you're doing these masters as you're playing kind of in the world and they're boring as as hell they're the worst part of the whole game and you get a hideout and to make the hideout bigger or put more masters in it because there's a limit per like like the the lower rank the hideout 
the lower the masters and if you have the masters in you can do their dailies this all if this sounds shitty or boring it's because it's shitty and boring and it's the literal worst part of the entire experience it's bad to start off in a new league and have to get another hideout start the hideout small have only have access to a few masters have to level up that master that controls that hideout maybe you want a certain hideout but you fucking hate that master and you have to keep doing their daily quest which is probably boring it's probably not good and you probably don't really want to do it and you have to keep doing it. it 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 just like james said it's it's worse than busy work it feels a lot of times like you're wasting your time to and and even when you get like a little bit into the master levels just a couple levels in the masters start really becoming grindy and you can only kind of do those quests either dailies or if you find them randomly throughout the world so if all this sounds bad or you don't even understand it it's because it is bad and you probably don't need to understand it and it's the it's the worst thing and I, i this reminds me a little bit also of like the the best thing it seems like one of the best things you can do in any video game is like with League, when they, they took away the rune system and added a better rune system that that was interesting and unique and fun, and not only did they take away a bad thing, but they took, took put in a new great thing. Or when you, like, in Overwatch, one of the reasons why we're probably playing that game again is that they took a lot of these boring characters we didn't really want to play, and they made them more interesting and viable in, in all situations and unique, and rather than just being these, like, super niche characters... Um, so that, I think that's one of the best things you can do in a persistent game is take out a bad thing and replace it with a good thing because the, the value of, it's not even just adding a new good thing. You're removing a bad thing to put in a new good thing. So like the, the kind of like opportunity, the cost between that, like the difference is massive. Yeah. It's a swing in both directions. Uh, but I, and I also just love the idea of like, now you find hideouts throughout the world. I don't know if you saw, you saw the image, like the checklist of, uh, of things that, that, uh, you know, grinding gear games was planning to do this year. Right. Yeah. That, that had a like beat Diablo, canceled, Diablo four canceled the di- canceled Diablo four announcement. Uh, one of them was called, uh, actually hide hideouts. And everyone thought that like everything on the list was a joke. And it wasn't. They're actually just going to hide hideouts where they're going to be places in the world that you're going to find and then you will knock the hideouts. What a Halloween uh, thing to do for from GGG to uh, release this fake looking board of like funny jokes and then a lot of them turned out to be real. Yeah. And originally, like the reasons why you did Masters was so that you could get Master Crafting, which would open up like all these new things that could only be performed by people who went through the stress and trouble and time of leveling those masters up. Now, all of those master crafts, master crafts are going to be tied to doing challenges in the game. Yeah. Like beat this incursion, get to this uh, area in a delve, stuff like that, stuff that you want to be doing anyway. Yeah, they tied That's old they tied old fun league mechanics, like some of my absolute favorite league mechanics to We were we were saying this was going to happen for a while, right? Like both of us said this was going to happen. This was something that the community had kind of figured out just because it made the most sense. And they ended up tying some of the best league mechanics that were kind of out of play into Masters so that you were having fun while you're doing Masters. Uh, you Also, before you, you said, uh, like, trouble and time and stress. And those are all three things that I could do without in my life. 
and to remove those three things from Path of Exile is uh, pretty good. Oh, well, it's still going to take as much time as Path of Exile takes. But but I never feel like my time in Path of Exile is like wasted. I never look back on it and think like, oh, I wish I played that game less. That's no, never it's usually the opposite. I usually feel like I wish I played that league more. This was the league that I probably could have gotten further than... I did get further than I've ever gotten. That's always my goal. That's always my goal every league is just get further. And further is kind of a nebulous thing in Path. Um, usually it means like, you know be getting to higher tier content, um, be stronger as a character and stuff like that. Um, and I've been naturally pretty much doing that. Uh, so I hope that yeah. when Betrayal drops that I can do that again. The good thing about Path of Exile is that when I'm playing it, I am not paying other games. That's important. And so so that's the thing is like... I'm not always smart yeah, about my over, money, so I'm not the same way, Over the way, course James. of like my, my what? like three or four year relationship with path of exile i've probably spent six hundred dollars but at the same time i have eleven hundred and six hours in it and i don't regret any of them so the, the so the dollar yeah. to hour ratio is pretty good i somehow and, have and like also, it's insane like i have like 400 hours i, I like the, the, i play started playing path of exile last year like I, I'm a I'm I'm essentially new on the boat. Like I'm off the boat, right? Like you would consider me kind of like a newer Path of Exile player, and I have like 400 hours in it. It's also just like, and and I guess I don't know. Maybe we talk about this all the time, but I don't think that any uh, community talks to their developers the way that uh, Path of Exile, you know, community talks to GGG or vice versa. Yeah, both. Well, both because I think that you see like a lot more respect and admiration from pl from players of this game than you do for players of other games there, there's people have criticisms about path of exile but i don't feel like people have criticisms of grinding gear games and that's even even people who are willing to admit like yeah this game is built as like a skinner box and, and nobody nobody is like saying that in like a derogatory way because it's the best Skinner box. Yeah, it's a Skinner box that's free. Free Skinner box. Uh, um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that league, and I wish that I had time off in December because of it, but instead I'm sure I'll have fun playing uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 some more, Hitman some more, and and, and uh, Bloodborne. You, you know that Path of Exile League actually comes out on the same day as Smash Brothers. Yeah, a lot of good That'll stuff That would be a good play. day. Yeah. Um, so let's keep it moving. Uh, I mentioned Overwatch. I know we're both playing that. We were just playing that, actually. Keeping it moving, I'm playing the fastest and most movingest character in Overwatch, which is uh, Hammond, or Wrecking Ball. Unfortunately. Wrecking Ball. Um, so we both kind of came back to it. What, what kind of made you start playing again? Well, I wanted to check out Ash, and then I was like, this character's cool, but not really for me. And then I sort of got to realizing how many characters have been added to the game, all of which I'd be interested in playing. Like, you know, thinking about like Moira and thinking about like Doomfist and and just like lots of cool characters and, and the reworked characters like Torbjorn and Symmetra and like Reaper was recently buffed and that's pretty cool. And, and it just got me excited to play it again. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it, it's sort of weird when you read criticisms about the game and criticisms about the game and 
Uh, did you did you read uh, was Siegel's criticisms about the game? No. Recently, well, a lot of one of the criticisms he had, and it's something that I've thought about in the past, but it's that Overwatch is a lot of, at least at a high level, is a lot of waiting around for ultimates to come up, and then seeing how it pans out. And I don't know if I agree with that. I don't. I definitely don't agree with it at my level, but it is something that I've been like thinking a bit about since reading that criticism. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't agree with it at my level, certainly. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I've been thinking about that, but but Hammond is really fun to play. He's super fast. Uh, really high skill floor. Really high skill ceiling. What else is there to say about him? You know. Yeah. He's he's fast. Yeah, Overwatch cool. is. We've been playing it again, and that it is that... cool that like they let tank characters be as like nimble as they are. At least like some of them characters like Reinhardt and like and like Hammond and like Winston and Diva who all have movement abilities and mobility at the same time. It's nice that they're not just like chunkers, you know. Yeah. All right, keep them moving. But. But you've been playing Overwatch. Uh, who who are you playing? How are you feeling about it? What uh, made you come back? Uh, kind of the same thing. Like I played Ash on the PTR. I thought she was pretty fun and unique and a good idea for the character for a character in Overwatch. And she launched the day after I played her in PTR because I had waited a little while. And uh, when I played Mystery Heroes, I kind of I think one of the big realizations was that. Like kind of every character in the game now, I find to be pretty fun. So that was a big that was a big thing. Is like, uh, like especially for mystery heroes, uh, like there 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 used to be less characters, and there were more characters that were kind of like niche that were especially bad in mystery heroes. Like Torbjorn is like kind of especially bad in mystery heroes. Bastion can be pretty especially bad in mystery heroes. Symmetra can be especially bad in mystery heroes. And those are all characters that received uh buffs and reworks and stuff like that so uh noticing that that like there's more characters in the game that i would have fun with because i think one of the things that definitely makes the game less fun is if you're there's a character you like really want to play and there's just like one or two characters you want to play out of the whole roster and you just can't get them um that's that's uh not that much fun like i don't really want to play a character that is uh in support of the team composition that i'm also not having fun with so yeah adding more I mean, like that's another thing, healers like, and the, tanks the is a big deal right is, the thing that's worse is feeling like not that there's a character that you don't want to play but also feeling like the character that that you're like obligated to play yeah of like feeling obligated to play like let's say reinhardt or mercy or something like that specifically yeah uh so so f- starting to kind of move away from that is a big deal and starting to have more characters that I could play that if I, if I do get kind of forced into a role that there are new characters in that role that I find interesting. Uh, like if I get forced into healing, uh, Brigitte and Moira are characters that I really, really love. Uh, if I get forced into tanking, uh, Roadhog got an, uh, a buff, uh, Diva got a, got the missiles a little while back and she's more fun. Um, uh, Hammond is new and pretty really fun and unique. So you you kind of get to feel like you're having more fun right now in Overwatch 
uh, we're kind of getting to the point where, because I've said forever that one of the biggest things in Overwatch was, was that they needed more characters, uh, especially in the tank and healing roles, because they needed to diversify that and not make you feel like, well, I got to play a healer, and uh, if there's no one else playing healer, then I kind of have to play just Mercy. And if there's no one else playing tank, I kind of just have to play Reinhardt. And kind of moving away from that slowly is a big deal. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Besides Overwatch, what are you gaming on? Uh, I play Soul Calibur every day. That's wild. How are you liking it? Do you like it yet? or or Because I feel like if you don't like it at this point, if you've been playing it for this long and you're still not about it, then maybe, I don't know, at this point. Actually, you've I, only I, played it 14 hours. Yeah. How are you playing it every day? What are you playing it for, like, 20 minutes a day? I really don't. It, like uh, that. That's what I've been saying is that I don't necessarily play Soul Calibur. The, the the thing with fighting games is like when I play Dragon Ball Fighters, I I play it and I'll I'll play one match or of it. I'll I'll play a couple matches of it and then feel like I want to to play another match. Like I feel like I I need I have that one more game kind of mentality. And with with Soul Calibur, I don't know what it is like. I just have games where you lose and you really don't know why or like what you need to improve on to to get better and. I don't necessarily feel great about that. Um, I'm, I'm trying different characters, uh, especially characters that are considered good, just so that I can not feel like it's the character that's holding me back. Never, I guess, and that never was really happening because I do like Ivy, and I think Ivy is pretty good. Apparently, I don't really know setups though. Um, for whatever reason, like Tekken was a game where, um, and it's similar. That's why I mentioned it, where I would spend more time in training mode or making setups or. Uh, finding out character attacks and stuff like that. And with Soul Calibur, I don't do that as much. I don't really find, like, that as interesting or rewarding um, just to spend time in training mode and, like, practice combos uh, or setups and stuff like that. Um, uh, I've been playing Siegfried a little bit, and uh, I I still continue to, like, want to play it and uh, don't necessarily, like, dislike it while I'm playing it, but it doesn't fully jive with me i'm not like in love with it and like i gotta give it another go you know like I, I... one of the things that i like about overwatch that uh, about soul caliber that i feel like is is maybe one of the reasons why i like it over other fighting games is that there aren't like definitive setups that you're that are going to work in every situation against you know every character because of the fact that all of the characters are so unique and because of the way that all of the different stances in the game work because of the way that like ukemi works and range works there's not like five different like setups that you can learn and and it's not like okay so if a character is rising i can always use this and it'll always combo into this or or okay so if someone if i use this move and someone ducks then i can always rely on doing this move and, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I like Soul Calibur a little bit more is because I think that it makes you think on the fly in a way that other fighting games don't because in other fighting games you could just sort of turn off and sort of run autopilot. I don't think that's and, true and for Maybe Tekken. that's a little sure. Uh, I, I might be inclined to disagree a little bit because I feel like there were definitely setups in Tekken and definitely just like you could learn a handful of combos and they would they would get you pretty far. Yeah, which is I, which is I don't think the way that that it works in Soul Calibur because there's definitely fewer combos and the ones that there are are definitely harder to get and the game is way more about uh, 
react like re figuring out how to respond to somebody when you've finished an attack because essentially I, I feel like in soul caliber there are more decisions that are made in a single round because of the fact that there are fewer combos happening and i think that that makes training mode less interesting but for me it also makes just playing a little more like enticing yeah um i don't know I also just feel like a lot of times in Soul Calibur, like when I lose, like, like I, I still don't feel like the matchmaking is great. I still do feel like I end up playing like people who are like Smurfy or they, uh, like I, I'll play someone who has like thousands of more soul points or whatever it is than I do, and with a character that is like new, and I don't learn that much from it because you just kind of get like rushed down and like don't really feel like you have like lots of options to respond. Um, so, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of defensive options in Soul Calibur. Also, I feel like Guard Impact is is too good in Soul Calibur uh, 6. And in other games, essentially Soul Ca uh, Guard Impact is you can always input Guard plus Forward. It's a universal parry that will parry uh, most attacks, even attacks with armor, and also low attacks, mid attacks, low attacks, horizontals, verticals. And sometimes command grabs. So I, I feel like it's pretty, pretty messed up. It used to be that there were different types of guard impacts, one for mids and one for lows and ones that would push the enemy forward and backward. I like that system a lot more. I think it's a little bit weird now. I, I think that as a defensive mechanic, the, the uh, force attack, uh, focus attack uh, for lack of of knowing the exact term is is really powerful but also yeah, like clash I'm attack that I'm, I, I'm not crazy about it though i i don't like i don't the like the clashes down the game i don't like anything that slows down a fighting game or makes a fighting game stop like yeah i find clashes worse? to be pretty dumb they're yeah. they're like they they literally make turn the game into like a rock paper scissors moment of like guess right and do damage or guess wrong and get hit and like that, not to say that that element isn't in fighting games, but to slow the game down to a moment and say like choose an input and live or die by it, like it just it's a bad system. I don't really understand like at like any level why that would be uh, fun. Like usually the rock paper scissors elements of fighting games are a little bit more nuanced and like deal with like positioning and stuff like that whereas this like breaks it down just to like not even like what the characters moves are more to just like this beats this this beats this and this beats this and it's like a rock paper scissors triangle and just choose it and like i don't like that mechanic yeah me neither i'm not crazy about it in any fighting game i i hate getting hit with something that puts me into like a cutscene. uh i think that it's like especially bad when you're like losing really hard and then you get hit by like a level three yeah, and you just have to like sit through it, and it's just like, it's a dreadful moment, and yeah. I I don't like, I I don't like the slowing down. All right, so let's keep moving, because we don't want to slow this podcast down. We don't want to slow down. Okay, uh, so I guess that's it for, for digital games, right? Yeah. Suffice to say that I have been playing more Hitman Two. I've gotten to the Hitman Two maps, and I like it a lot. I don't want to say too much about it right now, though. Okay, um, should we bring up the uh, the elephant in the room? There is no elephant in the room. Everything's great. It's not necessarily a bad elephant. Uh, so Keyforge came out. 
That's the one. We got to play it. You went to a Keyforge tournament because that's how serious you are about Keyforge. Yeah. Uh, but if I understand correctly, I did. you got so flustered and upset that you left after one game. No, that's not true. But uh, uh, that <laughs> that is what you just said. Uh, so, so yeah, we played two games of Keyforge yesterday. Uh, we had other people over, so it didn't feel right. Uh, I don't feel like e- at, at this point in time that I can talk about Keyforge, but I, I can't make like any sort of judgment, final judgment over it. I can just say kind of more basic things that I that I feel about it at the moment, because with any card game, it would take, you know, hundreds of games like to, to really understand uh, stuff. And Keyforge is also a, a uh, unique beast. So Keyforge is out. So this is what this game is. Um, created by Richard Garfield, the uh, designer of Magic. It is probably one of the biggest uh, card game launches. It is a card game. Um, you uh, it, 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 The immediate thing that, that diverts away from other card games, the lifeblood of Keyforge, the thing that makes it kind of the most unique, is that uh, you uh, don't buy booster decks. Uh, you do not customize decks. You pay ten dollars for a deck. When you uh, when you open that deck, it is a unique deck. It is made created from a computer algorithm. Um, the deck in procedurally the, generated. it is procedurally generated. When you open a deck, it is unique. There can never be another deck that has the exact setup that you have. Um, it can never be modified. You can never remove cards from it or put cards into it. Uh, the card back of the deck has a unique, also procedurally generated, never appear to appear again name uh, and card art. And if you look at the front of the cards, even there is uh, the name of the deck on the front of it. So there's really no way you really can't modify decks. You're not meant to anyway. Uh, you open a deck and you play with it, and that is it. You have to figure out how that deck would work on the fly. Um, I I think that the concept that concept is really working out, uh, maybe better than I even thought it would. The algorithm is smarter than I imagined, where it's not necessarily just throwing cards into it willy nilly. It's kind of more building an algorithm sometimes it'll weight cards differently so that if there's cards that have synergies it might try to put them in there um so so you're not necessarily yeah. playing a deck that's just like all these randos and then having to buy hundreds of decks to find one that actually has synergies i think th- for the most part you can open up a deck and have a, a couple different interesting synergies um one of the important things i would say right away is that the decks are also created but from three houses there are nine houses in the game seven seven maybe um so the decks are created from three random houses and the houses determine how you can play the game so you draw a hand of cards uh you can only at the beginning of your turn you activate a house uh that limits what you're allowed to do uh, you look at your, you know the cards in your hand, the cards you have on the field, and you can only use cards that are of that house on that turn when so you activate even if it. So you have like multiple creatures on the field from different houses, you can only use the creatures and artifacts on the field from the house that you declare. So it doesn't only determine what you can play on the field, but also what cards you can use that are already out. Yeah, and this also is the way that it kind of creates a sort of uh, resource. Because one of the important things is that games, I feel like card games, 
are trying to get away from the Magic the Gathering style of lands and having resources in your deck uh, because it, it turns out that it's not a great um, it's not a great mechanic. Uh, people not in people people in Magic call it being land. like call it being land fucked um, because you can just lose a game of Magic because once per turn in Magic you can play a new land. And those lands are your resources for being able to, like, activate or play cards. So if you're not drawing those cards, then you can't really play cards. And vice versa, if you're, if you're only drawing those cards, then you can't really play cards because you don't have any cards to draw. So it, it, it kind of increases the randomness of the game in, a, in an unfun way. Um, so the way that this game, as I said, kind of skirts that is that every single card in your hand is free to play. You are only you're choosing the faction, uh, the house that you want to activate, and you're only allowed to play those cards or activate those cards. So the when Keyforge is at its best, the scenario is like you have multiple, you have three of your different factions out on the field you have different cards in your hand and you're making these choices of like well i kind of want to activate this faction to activate these cards but i also have a hand that kind of weights it more to this faction but do i play more to the to like the minions i already have out do i play more to my hand and that's kind of when keyforge is at its best is making those big choices of like yeah and sometimes you'll have a handful of actions uh, and the actions will be like every time you fight, you get an amber, but you don't have that house on the field, and you have five of these actions in your hand, and that's when Keyforge can feel pretty bad. And you also said the thing about the amber, which is another thing that's important about Keyforge. Uh, Keyforge doesn't have a life total, uh, unlike a lot of other card games, unlike most big card games, you're not uh, hitting an enemy's face to deal damage to them and then bring it down to zero. Uh, it's more of a unique thing where you are trying to get these amber resources. Uh, they uh, Once you have six at the start of your turn and only at the start of your turn, uh, with the exception of some cards that allow you to break this mold, um, you forge a key, and when you forge three keys, uh, you win the game, and that's how you win. You don't necessarily win by just like having a ton of creatures out and and like playing a bunch of spells and hitting the enemy's face when they but don't it gets have anything. You close. It, 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 it. I gets mean, you it's. Close. I mean that there is certainly. Uh, I, I think this is important. I don't think this is a bad thing, but Keyforge's um, board control is important. It is a factor. Yes, it is a large factor of the game. It's important to have board control because one of the things that creatures can do if they're if you can play them is other than just fighting, which work kind of similar to the way Hearthstone might work, um, you can reap. And reaping is just tap a creature, get an amber. That's it. And it's important to have those creatures out so that when you're kind of clearing up the enemy's field, you have these open actions of just being able to tap a creature and get a, a, an amber. Because you want to get to that six. You want to be able to start your turn with six at the very least so you can forge a key and uh, get closer to winning. I, I had a bad experience so far, and I think that it is because I did not like the deck that I pulled. One thing that I do really like about Keyforge, though, is that, like... Uh, for $10, you get a whole experience, right? Like you get a whole deck. And another thing that's really neat about it is in Magic the Gathering, you could pull, you could open a deck and pull a super rare, super powerful card 
that does not work with what you've currently got going. And in Keyforge, that can't happen. If you pull something super rare and super cool out of the box, it works for you because it is an entire, you know, experience in and of itself when you open that pack. Yeah. Um... And that is really nice. So it is nice to know that like, oh, my, this deck sucks, but I have other decks. I just play another deck and it's probably better. Yeah, I think that I, I really look forward to a time where we can just like sit down and do the damn thing and just like play with a lot of decks because I think that's the way that we would start to get the best understanding of like how maybe, much yeah, yeah, player yeah. input so is there. Right? Yeah, something like Wednesday that. Wednesday after work. Yeah, that's um, the way to do it. We'll just sit down, play some Keyforge, and give some honest opinions next week. Yeah. Um, but I gotta say, I like the art style more. More than I thought well. I would. You like the art style pretty way good. more than uh, I thought yeah. I would. Way more. I I went when Keyforge like I uh, when I heard about the the announcement for Keyforge, I went into the Fantasy Flight Games uh, uh, store and and bought uh, uh, like I think for like four of the decks and a starter pack, and I I loved the concept. I I needed to see. It, like what that meant what this unique card game meant and one of the things that i was really nervous about before the game came out was that the different factions have these kind of different art styles one of them being like mars and it's just kind of like this generic 70s version of like green men with with black eyes and uh, I, I was kind of nervous about the way that this art style would work overall, and in fact, yeah. I I really like it. In in it I looks, actually love looking Mars. at the cards. Yeah. I really like the I really like the all the cards. I I don't even I can't even say that I've necessarily seen a card and and thought that I don't like it uh, at all. Like I th I think the artwork is really good. Is really good. You have a character like a card that you like the best so far in terms of art because for me. It is far and away shadow self is super cool far and away in terms of art um maybe one of my favorite card concepts and maybe that's why i am liking the artwork a lot is, is it mother uh, oh well i do like mother a lot i do like mother a lot and mother is is obviously powerful um mother is a card that is a uh like constant effect card where just as it's out on the field, it will always keep doing something. And it makes it so that in your draw step, which is the last thing you do, is drop to a hand of six. So no matter what you spent that turn, you Up drop to, to your yeah. you drop to your maximum hand and uh, mother get gives you a plus one. It's a hand of six. Yep. Right? So instead of drawing six, you draw seven. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Um, so... So I do like that card. I got like this. Uh, so I, I can't remember the name. Um, I, I could look through the decks right now, but it was like this this uh, uh, discard. That's the family uh, dis. Uh, um, yep. And it is a seven power, zero armor legendary, and its ability is that when a it's a, a constant ability, and that's important to say. Uh, when a creature dies in a fight with this with with that creature, it's like some like general something, uh, general Grezix or something, um, and it's the art is amazing. It's a spooky looking like almost nocturne guy. Uh, when a when a creature dies in a fight with this with this card, it comes into play on my side of the field. 
and the that wild, ha- that that doesn't happen on that doesn't necessarily happen only on my turn so i can make those choices on my turn like i want to kill this creature and get it on my side it also happens off of my turn because it's plain text it's not a it's not yeah. fight do this it is plain text so that means that when an enemy tries to kill this creature if anything dies trying to kill this minion i get it i get it but but one thing that's really cool about that is that because of the way decks are procedurally generated, there are cards that could just be like super fucking strong and it's okay. I had a card that I put it down and it just wiped your board where, where it just said, this pl- this character enters play and it deals three damage to everything that is not damaged. It, it basically cleared your board. I had another card that was uh, anything three power or under is destroyed. And it's like a seven power card. So then I have like this really strong seven power card and like an army of runts are like totally wiped out. And I, and this isn't something that could really exist in a game where you're building your own decks because something like that could be exploited in, in Keyforge, They can make these ridiculously strong cards because you can't add multiple of them to your deck. They don't have to worry about like, well, they can restrictions like, huh? They can add multiple to your deck. You don't make that choice. They can, but yeah, you can't. So so that's pretty cool. I, I like that aspect about Keyforge, and I also like the aspect of, like, because there is no mana, everything in the game, like, has some worth. Like, it's not like, oh, this is a cheap minion because because it costs one mana. It's like, no, this minion costs the same as every other minion, and valuable because it does x yeah it's interesting because the game is definitely designed around that concept like the the cards are all meant to be at like a four to sort of like 50 like a like a five out of ten a little bit kind of range uh some of the legendaries are stronger but they're randomly pulled and you know you it's harder to build a strategy around those um so uh and you're not putting them into your deck just to just to use every single time so because of those factors uh, it does. I, I think one of the things that I like immediately about this is that uh, card games by uh, like uh, even Richard Garfield has talked about the concept of like how magic, magic, the the you know the the progenitor, the the uh, big card game that kind of spawned every card game that exists, the every like head to head PvP card game, um, and and made those what they are. Uh, he, you know, the, there's cards in the sets because they have to make so many cards that are, you know, not meant to be that good. Uh, there's cards that are meant to be good in certain synergies. There's cards that are meant to be good alone. And I think one th- really cool thing is that this game c- forces you to find value in every card. And I like that a lot. I think that's really cool because there's there's no card that when they made this set of of the the original set of like 300 something cards. Uh, there's no card that is like, this is horseshit. You'll pull it from a pack and you'll you'll rip it up and put it into a garbage because that's that's it. You even if it's bad, you got to figure. It, or if it's like super situational, you have to figure out a way to make it work. And I think that's really interesting because super situational cards are also things that might not be included in decks. Maybe when you're building a constructed deck in Magic or Hearthstone or anything else. Um, you just include the cards that are good and work towards a strategy, and Keyforge forces you to work with every card in the set to find value where you can. Hell yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I went to a, uh, I, I was in the area. I had done donated blood. I was like, I kind of want, I was, I was watching a lot of videos on YouTube about Keyforge. So I was like kind of in the mood of like getting more packs. Uh, I, I had no unopened packs. Did you? I did. Did you get more packs? I did. That's a slippery slope. It is, but it, it's feeling fun. And I, I'm just interested to see what pops out. Also the, the, uh, uh, there's a, an app now, so I'm scanning into these these packs and and seeing what I can pull. Like I I, I not I don't it's even like necessarily like want to play nasty, with right? Cause like yeah, it's like looking at at what's in it and like looking at the at the names is like addicting. Yeah, the, the names are super addicting, but it's also uh, I think some of the most fascinating things about the game are there are some really weird things that can happen with deck creation, and I think that's what makes me want to see like more of the limits of like where this goes um for, for example we talked about the houses and how you can only activate the houses um there are cards that are uh in your deck that are called mavericks that they, they, they could appear they're super rare they could um, be in your deck. and they, they they're not yeah they're not necessarily in any deck you're gonna pull you're gonna you're gonna have to see a lot of decks to be able to see these mavericks but a maverick is a card that is aligned to the wrong faction so it would necess- it would create in possibility a uh turn that could never exist. So Yeah, it's it feels like a you know, like it feels so cool because it feels like a glitch in the system where it's like, oh, this this thing is appearing where it's not supposed to be. Yeah. It's like if a, it's like if in magic a red card were misprinted as a green card and it's like, well, that's how it is, so I guess it's allowed. Yeah, but, but in Keyforge, it's actually like baked in. There's like a a zero point four percent chance that a card could appear as a Maverick, uh, which is like one in every thirty, one in every twenty five decks or so. Yeah, it's a really fascinating concept. Um, so yeah, I went to a. I was in the area. I, I was like feeling it. I looked for like a local game shop. I went to a local game shop called Legendary Realms. Uh, and when I walked in, I, I saw that they had Keyforge and I asked to buy it. And they were like, nope, you can't buy it because it was at the time it was like 228 or something or two like 48. And they were like, we're having a big tournament at three o'clock. Uh, we, we like, you know, told people to come and show up and we need people to be able to buy these packs. So you can't buy anything right now until the tournament starts. Um, and like, do you want to stick around? And I was like, yeah, sure. Actually, like, uh, like that might be fun. So I stuck around. Um I love the form. I I think the format of this is really strong. It's not even necessarily just finding decks that you like and playing them. The concept of like, of like here, we're all starting the tournament. We're all different players. You got one pack, open it up, figure out what you got and how to make it work. Uh, so that's I think- why I actually haven't opened any of my, like I, I haven't opened my, all my packs yet because I actually love the idea of like, you're over. I crack open a new deck that like I haven't I don't know anything about and we just play and see how it goes that's a really strong it's interesting because the game can be good on its own playing decks that you know and you like uh but it's also a whole different thing to just play a deck and almost a like Hearthstone Arena style or like Magic almost drafting style just figure out like what can I do with this so yeah we had we did we did that uh there was like 12 people in the tournament um, I played the first game. This game, so one thing I should say is this game lasts a little longer than you would think, or a little, it like overstays its welcome a little bit on each on each gameplay. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that for like a card game, a good time uh, to finish would be like 20 minutes to like 
30 minutes at most for like a slow control game and i feel I, like with I keyforge to change that yeah right? i feel like with keyforge the uh usual is more of like a 30 to 45 minutes um when you're getting yeah. to like 45 or like almost an hour sometimes like it's a little bit overstaying it's welcome because so, so it, how do you resolve that i i don't really know it's like you reduce uh, the amber cost of keys you you could do those uh, things print, i mean you just print stronger cards i mean i think uh, you could print stronger cards you could reduce amber cost of keys those are some of those are on like you know the the company because i don't necessarily want to play with a bunch of house rules yet um uh but i i think that some of that is like if you if we play if we, if we were gonna open a bunch of decks and figure out like really good decks and play that had like great synergy, I think the games would last a lot shorter. But when you really are just opening a deck and figuring out what's going on with it, um, uh, the the uh, the decks at their kind of like base, kind of more like middling, like you know, the the average deck you're gonna pull is gonna win in like forty five minutes. Like it it it's a little much, and like and when the the really good decks might win faster, and the really bad decks would possibly win slower. Um, but yeah, I feel like the game's a little long. Um, so I did wait around until three o'clock to to play, um, and uh, did that. Opened up the deck. I had the best name I have ever seen yet. Uh, it was my, the name of my deck was it that effortlessly perturbs fear um so so dope pretty good yeah and it was a pretty cool looking deck and a pretty cool and had some cool stuff in it played against someone who was it was their first time playing i i was kind of excited because i felt like playing with you i knew some things more a, a little bit more about the game and it showed up uh i ended up winning in like about 40 minutes and it just started it was like five o'clock by the by the time because they like, took like an hour to like explanations and people asking questions of, like how does this work how does this work and and getting going and it was like almost close to five o'clock that i was like okay i i can't sit this entire thing so I, I i gotta go and i let the person who i i beat uh just continue playing as like a winner against that game um but i had fun uh i i thought that like it was interesting to see his deck versus my deck and yeah. uh yeah, I, 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 I got a bunch of packs uh, after that before I left. I opened a couple of them and I feel like uh, one or I, I feel like uh, I, I got a five and I, I got five packs and I opened up two of them um, and I, I one of them was not great and one of them seemed like unbelievably good, like unbelievably good. Uh, it, it, it for, for example, it, it had the untamed faction in it. And the Untamed faction in this deck had uh, the Niffle Queen. And the Niffle Queen is give plus one power to uh, beasts, give plus one power to uh, Niffle cards, cards that have Niffle yeah. in their name. And I have three, like, Niffle apes or something. Three oh, of them. My, my Niffle deck only has two. Yeah, it has three of them. And it also has a card where it, it lets you pull every Niffle card in your discard pile, every Niffle named card in your discard pile into your hand. Wow. So I have one Niffle Queen, three Niffle Apes. Uh, the whole Untamed faction in this deck is made up of beasts. And so they're all getting a plus one, and the Niffle beasts are getting plus two. And a card that is draw every single Niffle card into your hand. That seems great. That seems like maybe one of the best decks I have right now. One of the things that I'm afraid of is like, what if you find a deck that's so good that it makes opening other decks less 
interesting. I don't know. I don't think that would be true because there's still crazy some crazy stuff like the Mavericks and the Horsemen that make it so that uh, I feel like opening decks will continue to be kind of interesting and fun. Fair enough. Uh, so that's not all that we played yesterday. We played a Kickstarter game, one of the first Kickstarters that you have received uh, on from your original Kickstarter binge that happened at the beginning of the year, and that was uh, Block by Block. Yeah. So Block by Block is a semi-cooperative uh, game that, that sort of feels like Spirit Island, where you're working together with a team to clear uh, dudes off of the board. Uh, you In this game, you play as four different factions, each that have uh, some slightly different powers. And at the same time, there are hidden objectives and so some players may be working together uh, for the greater good, and then some players may be working, uh, you know, sort of in it for themselves and can sneak out a win uh, if they if they catch the good guy team unawares. Uh, yeah. But pretty much it is sort of like a a sort of resource managey sort of worker placement action selection game. Uh, and I like the art style of it. It's pretty cool. It's called Black by Block. And and I think that they, you know, y- you live in this block city where all of the, I think that it was a nice way for them to say, hey, we're going to use these crappy blocks that every other uh, board game uses, but we're going to lean into it by making the game actually the art style about this block aesthetic. Yeah, um, the blocks aren't that crappy though. They're really nice. They're kind of heavier than like yellow and Yangtze blocks. And the only some of the yellow and Yangtze blocks I got were like cut poorly. And this game, the, the blocks were cut nice, and they're a little bit heavier. But this game doesn't have pagodas. It doesn't have pagodas. Um, yeah, so it's the insurrection game. Uh, the theme is that you are one of four different uh, factions. The workers the neighbors the students or the prisoners um each with their own like mini mini asymmetrical thing and you are uh playing on this randomly generated board to uh beat back the uh the cops that are like kind of taking over your insurrection you're trying to take back the city uh like basically like a new york city kind of uh for yourselves um yeah uh we so yeah we played it um, um, I don't feel really strong on it, and I, I especially don't feel like it would win out over other things. If there was ever a time that I wanted to play block by block, I'd want to play Spirit Island more than it. Um, I don't think that the asymmetry of the factions is all that interesting. And for a game that's kind of like medium to lightweight, ultimately, um, it's like a 90 to 120 minute game. Uh, that seems like it inherently overstays its welcome. Um, you're also not really making that interesting of choices on your turn. Um, and the other thing that kind of drives the nail into the coffin is that, like, I don't necessarily, like, I, I've been thinking about this, like, I, I don't, I, cops are in the news for doing a lot of stuff, and I, I don't, like, love cops or anything like that, but, uh, I, I don't think that... a cop. Yeah, I, I don't think that, uh that I, I feel necessarily comfortable with like the whole thing being like there's more cops being created and you're like trying to fight or kill those cops or destroy their riot vans. Um, it's it like, it, it doesn't feel like good. I don't know. Like it's not like a theme that like I want to partake in that much. 
Uh, I also just don't think there are interesting choices to be made in this game. I think the action selection is weak. Uh, one of the things that I was saying is, you know, you roll dice to choose your actions. Uh, but in this game, a higher dice roll is always better. In a game like Castles of Burgundy, one of the cool things about rolling dice to choose your actions is that sometimes you actually want lower rolled dice. And there's always something useful or interesting that you can do, uh, regardless of what type of dice you roll. But I feel yeah, like well, in it's this not game... yeah, yeah. It's like in in some other games that are like dice or like worker like dice placement games. Like some of the things about dice placement is that uh, it's not necessarily like six is just like higher is just better. It's like for this action you need a one or a two, and for this action you want a three specifically. Uh, even in games like Machi, like Machikoro is an example where you're rolling dice, but you're not looking for a six because it's the best. You're looking for different numbers to activate, uh, like some of your buildings, and you can um uh play accordingly and it means that like every number could possibly have interesting things or interesting benefits and um uh with this game it definitely is like you're just looking for that like rolling a bunch of sixes or something like that yeah but so i don't know i I agree with you not something that i would be like wild about playing again uh i mean how do you feel about having like a game in your collection that you're not like jazzed on um i don't know like i feel like i would like i played it and i almost would like sell it or uh put it in the back a little bit more like it, it's it's interesting aesthetically um i like the components i like the mat um i like the artwork uh but i i don't like love it and and i really don't feel like there would ever be a time that i would ever say that i want to bring it again there the, some of the games that like the, the the best thing you want is a game that you like keep wanting to get to the table and I, I just don't feel like there would ever be a time again where after that single playthrough that I would want to bring that again like I, I just don't know if like would I like if it would ever have the space for it especially with that time do, yeah especially with the amount of time that it takes like it takes two hours i could play like we could play something long and crazy in that time that that is a little play two games of wild we could play three games of wildlands maybe four and i'd I'd be into that i would be more into that because more would happen here's the thing about block by block is that there was a crazy turn uh where kevin rolled made an awesome roll and was able to wipe out an entire fleet of enemies like totally cleared the board and it would have been like this epic amazing moment in any other game but in this game it was like wow that was easy well yeah so let's keep going but in other games it would have been like holy shit there was this awesome turn where where the stars aligned and and we were able to totally clear the board of enemies like in spirit island if something like that were to happen it would be be because of the fact that the players chose like specific actions they like all work together to set it up and in this game it was like no they were all together uh he rolled a bunch of sixes he went in and uh hit them until they were gone yeah it 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 does feel like a lot of your turns and block by block uh you have more of like a this is the best move i don't don't really feel like i often was like stuck between two moves that seem like very good moves but like i was uh yeah, it was fun to play a social game, to play a co-op game. It makes me actually want to consider, you know, playing some more social games and more co-op games. Rather, oh, I got a cool announcement for you. What's that? Um, I bought a hundred two dollars worth of sword and sorcery. 
Wow, okay. That's so a co-op game? That is a board game. A co-op board game? That is a co-op board game. Is that from um, the Miniature Market Black Friday sale? No. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, um, I'm interested to get that. Uh, there's a couple different reasons why I'm interested to get that. Uh, I'll talk more about that when we actually seem to play it or anything like that. But uh, it, it is a du- co-op-y dungeon. It's co-op only dungeon crawler. But uh, I think that it produces more interesting moments or choices than maybe like Gloomhaven would. Did you ever get Thunderstone Quest? <laughs> I haven't. I have not. When are you, when is that expected to come in? I thought they were saying. I have the, no. I have got. I have Thunderstone Quest. You have it. Okay. I have it. You I've should, had it. You should I haven't played it sometime. Is that it though? Um. Yeah. We played more Wildlands. Um. And we've also played Broom Service. Yeah. So we did play more Wildlands. So let's talk about that a bit. Uh. So Wildlands is the sort of, it is a miniature dudes on a map style game where you are. I, I really feel like it it feels like a video game in a way. Yeah. Where it feels like a tactics game where you like have units, you're moving them along the map, you're just you're trying to kill enemy units and you're trying to pick up these crystals. And uh for the first time we played it in a three player setting and I thought that it worked pretty well. I, I did feel sort of bad because, you know, both of us are I would say seasoned uh senior veteran Wildlands players and it was Charlene's first time. And, uh, you know, her characters on the board, her dudes on the map, sort of a resource. Yeah. Um, I do feel like one of the things I definitely think about Wildlands is that your first game is not a great game. Not. I actually didn't like it the first time I played it. You don't really understand hand management or flow very well. And without... I I don't. those, Those are the most important things to understand and... Uh, I feel like we should have played another one right afterwards to, uh, like, n- now that she wouldn't have to ask questions, that she'd be more interested in it. I I really like Wildlands. I think I want to continue to bring it because it keeps showing me something, and I like that. Uh, I, I really do yeah. feel like there's a lot there. Uh, that It's a game that gets deeper as you play it, that it gets deeper as you play with better players or players un- start to understand the, the game more. And you start to make more interesting choices, and I I don't know I I, I really like that game. Uh, on Tuesday, the new faction is coming out, the undead. Uh, so maybe the next time that I bring it over, we will have a unique, interesting, weird experience with that game. And uh, I continue to like it. It continues to be better than I thought it was going to be. And then we played Broom Service. Every time that you come over, uh, I look at Broom Service and I'm like, what do we play? We could play Broom Service, and it's always there in the back of my mind. And today or yesterday, I finally pulled it off the shelf and we played Broom Service uh, for your first time, even though you own the game and uh, for my second time. Yeah. So Broom Service is a it's pretty unique, but at the same time, it shares a lot of uh, features that other games have. Essentially, what you're doing is you are choosing actions. You're trying to uh, move across the board to deliver resources to points on the map uh, and you do so by selecting cards. Uh, in your hand each round you're selecting a series of four cards and then you are essentially declaring uh, what you're doing this turn and then another player and essentially you have two options right so you could say something like I am the cowardly prairie witch and then you instantly move to the prairie or you could say I am the brave prairie witch and then you get to move to the prairie and deliver a potion which is going to score you points the kicker however is that 
only one player can declare to breathe brave of any given card in the suit. So if I declare that I am the brave hill witch, and then on, on the rotation, you also declare that you are a hill witch and you select brave, then I lose my action entirely. You get it instead. But then if it passes to Charlene and she says, actually, I'm the brave hill witch, then both you and I have lost our hill witch and she is the only brave hill witch. So that is sort of the crux of this game where you are trying to uh, not only choose the actions that are going to give you the most points, but also do it in such a way that maybe you are trying to do actions that you do not think other people will do so that you can safely declare them as brave actions or instead pick up actions that other people do not expect you to take so that you can steal their brave actions away from them. Yeah. And another cool thing about this game is that you can mess with the sequencing and, and maybe this is maybe I think this is cool and other people would think this is terrible, but you can mess with the sequencing of other players' turns where they were really relying on this one card to make it to make their turn work. And they have to play it at a specific point. So maybe they think I'm going to move into the prairie and then from the prairie I can get to the forest. But you might say on your first action, I'm a brave forest witch. And then if they are a forest witch, whether they're going to declare cowardly or brave, they have to declare it. And so essentially you could take that action away from them. So now they can't move from the prairie to the forest because their forest witch is gone. And I think that's pretty cool. I, I think that it's it sort of makes you reconsider uh, which actions you're going to take because you want to choose actions that are going to effectively you need a plan B at all times. And that's one of the reasons why in this game, instead of having like one token on the board, you have two tokens. So you want to choose actions that are sort of going to allow you to, uh, if it if something messes up with my character token, I have my other token. So if someone throws off my sequence, instead of doing something with this character, I can do something with the other one. And I think that because of that, it's a really well-constructed and tight game. Mm -hmm. I say as the person who handily won. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I I really like the concept. I really like the gambling nature of it. I really like almost playing a poker game where you're kind of choosing these. Poker is not really necessarily a great analogy, but uh, you're like choosing these things that you think are going to be the best and uh, hoping that other people don't choose those or that other people wouldn't want to choose those to be able to take the best actions and stuff like that. Um, uh, maybe it would be closer if we played again, but uh, it, did, it did feel like you ran away with the game pretty early on. Um, yeah, but I wouldn't be I, away, I, I wouldn't be afraid of playing it again because it it moves at a good pace and uh, it's it's fast. pretty yeah it's it's really interesting. There's a lot of interesting things about it. It makes and, it makes uh, a lot of do with what it has. It's one of those games where everything in the game serves a real purpose. There's no extraneous elements of it. Uh, it doesn't require a lot of teaching, but it's still really deep. And uh, and, yeah. and I like the way that there is no the, the elements. It's not necessarily random, but other players' choices and the way that other players act do add like that flavor of chaos where you don't know what's going to happen. 
similar to the way that like a food chain magnate works where it's like there is no random elements in this game but you do not just get to follow it's not a math equation because you always need to be responding to what other players are going to do so unless you're a psychic you can't figure it out yeah and that's pretty cool and that's all the games we game isn't it that is all the games this has been WTDG Podcast. You can find us online at WTDGpodcast.com or wherever podcasts are sold, such as on iTunes, where you can rate, comment, and subscribe to the show, and where you might find it as What's the Deal with Games? Thank you, Ryan Gallion, crying for the use of music. We use the intro and outro to five off the new album, Meal Thing Ales. You can find them at the Rum for Cover Bandcamp. And I didn't hear this, and maybe you said it, but uh, November the 18th be with you. November the 18th be with you, James. I did say it earlier. Excellent. Well, now they've got a little bit more of November 18th, which is, of course, this special and cursed day. Uh, only comes around every so often. A dark day in some American history, be, yet still. Some, some will be happy to see it leave. Some somber. are grateful that it's here for the sake of remembrance. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I won't see you again this year, next year, at, on November 18th, because it just won't exist. We just don't have November 18th yet. And Brobnar has been announced. Brobnar, the Keyforge faction, has been announced for Smash Brothers Ultimate. It's going to be great. You're going to be able to loot all the bodies uh, with the uh, with the units, the creatures you don't have, because they just don't have it. Anymore.